You are listening to the Coach's Ed Podcast exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network. So, uh, thanks everybody that typed in that they can hear us. Apologies for the delay. This is Chris P. We are thrilled and honored to have with us Johnny O'Sullivan, um, who's a personal friend of mine. I've watched Johnny work and admired his work. And uh, Johnny, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. It's great to be here. And uh, I, I look better with no camera. I have a voice for podcasts. So yeah. I've got a face for radio too, Johnny. So, um, <laughs> so uh, our core value this month, John, I know you're familiar with Rush's unity and our topic and our campaign is managing the performance environment. Um, mm-hmm. You're talking to our mentees. This is cohort five, I believe, but also some mentors on it as well. Good familiar friends to you like a, a Nick Penn and some people that you haven't met yet, but they're all familiar with your work. So, John, let's get right into this. Um, tell us tell us about your journey and how you ended up here, and then we'll start to talk about the Changing the Game Project, Way of Champions podcast, and more importantly, the Every Moment Matters book that you've written. Give us your journey, John. Yeah, well, um, like all of you, I, you know, got started in, in coaching. I was about... Uh, you know, I, I was still playing. I was playing. Well, I think I coached my first team right after playing college soccer. I coached uh, JV soccer at my old high school on Long Island and then um, moved out to Colorado to ski. And then my one of my old coaches started a USL franchise in Wilmington, North Carolina. And so asked me to come play. And so I, I started coaching down there while I was playing and then went to the University of Vermont um, to Michigan and then out here to Bend, Oregon, where I still live now 15, 14 and a half years later. And um, when I got out here, I helped start uh, Oregon Rush uh, with a club here, which is now uh, an affiliate of the Timbers. Um, but yeah, I did that. Started changing the game project back in 2012. Uh, published two books, started the podcast a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, the, these days, you know, I, I was flying 150,000 miles a year working across many sports, doing coach education and parent education and leadership development. And then um, obviously that all came to a halt. And now I'm doing a, a lot of it virtually, um, which is great and fun and, and different. And it's sad that I can't see your faces because especially with a group this size, that's that's such a great thing to do. And, um, but I hope today that I can, you know, we can talk and you'll ask lots of questions and it's kind of a back and forth and and not just me talking. Um, because right now sort of my most enjoyable thing that I've been able to do the last, uh, since March is coach, uh, 07 boys age group here with our club. My son happens to be uh, a part of it. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's wonderful. It's so much fun. Um, those were my favorite nights of the week all summer and fall. Um, we didn't uh, we, we didn't play any games in outside clubs here because everything was really restricted in Oregon. So we started our own seven-a-side league for our entire club, uh, for our U10s all the way up through our U19s. And uh, it, was, it was great. It was awesome. And we just got that done. And now we figured out that they shut down all indoor stuff. So all our indoor futsal leagues and everything are now out on our field turf fields um, all winter long. And I'm going to learn how to drive a plow, I think. So uh, that's basically my story in a nutshell. Um, 
you know, this coaching journey has been an incredible one, including many years as a rush technical director. And then ever since I started changing the game project, doing these calls and um, working with Chris P and working with Nick on stuff. I think I did about six rush festivals or something like that as well. And uh, yeah. And I, I think that's, I'll shut up now and just ah, we can go from there. Brilliant. And uh, you know, if you guys have the ability to unmute and self uh, uh, and do that, and then we can get those questions in. There's one more gentleman that's just joined us. Um, unless I missed Daryl earlier. Um, let me unmute Daryl and let Daryl introduce himself. And then I've got a question lined up for you, John. Thanks. Daryl, you're able to go. You can unmute. There you go, Daryl. Hey, John, this is uh, Daryl from Iowa Rush. Um, I'm the senior girls uh, director there at Iowa Rush. I'm just really looking forward to hearing what you have to say today. A couple of our parents have uh, been out to Rush Fest and have listened to some of your presentations in the past and have come back and, and spoke very, very highly of them. So looking forward to it. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Um, so real quick, Johnny, in, in 2012, you started changing the game project. What prompted you to start changing the game project? I think it was a, a combination. I, I was pretty burnt out from being a club director and not from the coaching piece, but everything else that goes on that you all know that you deal with. And it was funny. I was just having a, I, I took a spot with the local club here just as director of coach development for these last couple of months. And I was talking to our girls director yesterday who needs to find another girls coach. And he's talking about these kids who play college soccer or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that that's nice. Um, I'm like, but we all know that that's like 20% of your job is what you know about the game as a coach and 80% is all this other stuff and managing and organizing and building teams and talking to parents. And so at that point, I sort of felt like I had something that I'd like to share and, and I wanted to write a book. And um, I started a blog around the book and then I got to do a TED talk and stuff. And I, I think you know, I, I, I love to research and I love to write. And at that time, I was just kind of doing the research and writing that was very, um, it was very applicable to uh, what a lot of sports were doing. And I didn't just write a soccer book. Uh, I wrote a book for parents and kids in any achievement activity. And what happened at that point was that a lot of different organizations started uh, saying, hey, this is really valuable. Can we share this on our website? Can can we use it? And then it's just it's just grown from there. But I would say, and I talk about in my last book, I, I had definitely kind of lost sight of my purpose and my why do I coach at that time. And that's why I really burnt out. And certainly when I started coaching again uh, about five, four years ago, five years ago, I really reconnected with why am I here? Why do I coach? What gets me out there every day? And I think especially right now where you don't necessarily have the competition and there's so much uncertainty and, and kids' lives have been turned upside down. It's never been more important than ever to like understand, well, why, why am I here and why do I coach and, and what purpose does this serve? Because it's really not necessarily about putting people in World Cups and the pro ranks right now. It's just providing this healthy social mental and emotional outlet for kids to maybe the only time they see their friends all week. And I'm constantly reminding myself of that every time I'm coaching that 
uh, I got to make sure that this is these are the best hours of their week when they're with me because right now online school, no other social connection. It kind of sucks. Yeah. Huge, huge. And and we could go down a few rabbit holes, but if anybody has a question for John, uh, unmute yourself, say your name and then go with the question. And if you have trouble unmuting yourself, just let me know, type it in and I'll help you out. So John, as we wait for that for a second, um, you wrote the book, you started the program 2012, did a lot of podcasts, sorry, um, visits and the blogs. And then you started the Way of Champions, uh, sorry, Way of Champions podcast, which has now over a million listeners, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Or a million downloads. Yeah. It's, it's, I wish we had a million listeners, but we have a million down, over a million downloads and just cranking along, which has been really cool. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think when you start something, you're always like, I hope people will listen. Um, and podcasting is such an interesting medium because it's such a, you know, you you read someone's tweet or their Facebook post or you, you know, write a blog. That's a five minute commitment. But someone who will spend an hour or, or more week after week listening and we're we're closing in on episode 200 here. So that'll be 200 straight weeks. We've we've released something, which is pretty cool. Um it's it's you know it's a bigger investment and so it's been a different type of audience but one that's been really fun to connect with and um and then for me personally the ability to talk to some absolutely incredible coaches and sports scientists and skill acquisition people and athletes uh, it's just been wonderful because I learned so much like yeah I'm doing it for all of you but Honestly, um, <laughs> there's some selfish reasons too. I love having these incredible conversations, and absolutely, how generous people are to do. I, them. I can, yeah, I can testify to that, John, because I do our webinars, as you know, and you've done a few for us, and it's like a, it's a free uh, CPD, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, do you have big plans for the the 200? Can you share with us who's your 200th guest? Or actually, so we we have this thing called Patreon. Um, the, these are people who, um, support our podcast. They make like a little donation every month and they get a bunch of our online courses and transcripts of the podcast. And so what Jerry and I decided to do is do basically a live Patreon Q and a, so any of our patrons, um, will come on, we'll record them. They get to be on the podcast on episode 200 for supporting us and just do sort of a format like this. Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, John Plummer, you've unmuted. Go ahead. You had a question. And then Pablo, I see your hands raised. I'll get you in as well, Pablo. Go, Johnny. Hey, John. So you say one of the things that uh, keeps us from being burnt out as a coach is uh, knowing our why. Uh, Would you mind sharing what's your why? Yeah, Yeah, sure. And, And I think one of the most important things, John, is that you you know, my why should never influence your why. And, and everyone's all about like, it's got to be what is authentically you and and what drives you. So, you know, number one for me, it it would be that I love to use sport and and the power of sport to teach life lessons and develop character in the kids that I coach and this enjoyment of, of a lifelong love of activity. That's my why. Right. And so my thing is always, am I creating an environment 
that these kids are learning in, but they want to come back to, that they want to be a part of, that when practice ends, they go, wait, we're done already? That was 90 minutes because it went by so fast because we're moving and, and we're having fun, but also that I'm connecting with these kids on a deeper level and getting to know them outside their, their, the soccer field, right? And some let you some in, and some don't, but um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, right? So, you know, because my son's on the team and these are his buddies, it's fun. There's a group of four or five of them that, you know, I'll go mountain biking with, that will go up the mountain and, and, and go ski or things like that. That's, that's great. But then how can I get to know each and every kid and, and what makes them tick and, um, you know, see them on a golf course or something like that and, and connect with that side of them. So that's my purpose. And then for me, what really drives me, and if you listen to our podcast or you read the book, I tell the story of like how Steve Kerr um, told us how when he became the Golden State Warriors coach, he had this meeting with Pete Carroll where Pete said, how are you going to coach your team? And Steve is like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, what offense we're going to run, what defense? And Pete Carroll's like, no, man, like, that's not, that's not what it's about. You got that. He goes, what's it going to feel like to be part of your team? What's it going to feel like to come to work every day? And, um, and he's like, that's what matters most. And so he made Steve Kerr go home and come up with like, what are the things that are going to drive the warriors? And it was joy and compassion and mindfulness and, and competitiveness and so Steve Kerr's job was if I create an environment every day that brings those things to the forefront, we're going to be pretty darn good. And so that's really stuck with me as well, that when I coach the things that matter most to me, which are joy, which are competitiveness and which are like connection and, and creating this great family, um, that has to be at the forefront of, of my coaching. But for me, joy comes first. So there's days when I want to teach a little bit more and I see the kids are struggling to stay focused. And that's when I have to be able to shift gears, especially in this day and age and say, um, you guys just ready to play? You want to play? You want to get a game going? Let's let's make it a high level game here and let's just go um, and sometimes give up some of the teaching to focus on joy because that's my that's my building block. That's my first principle. Um, and so I think when you think about your purpose as well, who you are authentically has to come through in your teams and in your sessions. You can't try to be Pep Guardiola. You can't try to be Nick Penn. You can't try to be Chris P. You got to be you. And um, that has to show through every time as well. And when you do those things, then I, I think you stay pretty connected to your purpose. I think that's brilliant, John. Brilliant advice there. And obviously through these uh you know, since March started, there's been a lot of people reflecting um, and deciding, you know, who do I want to be? And, and I think that's always evolving and adapting. Um, and as people say, the coaches are the best thieves, right? Take it, make it your own and implement and add in your own personality to that. Pablo, you had a question. Um, and then Neil McNabb has a question. And everybody has the ability to, to unmute when you ask your question now. So... Yes, Pablo, thank you, you Chris, and, um, and, and, and I'm sorry to sidetrack a little bit because this, this last part was actually really interesting and what you were saying, John. Um, but um, I was just recalling a conversation that we were having with the mentees yesterday and they were they were asking, they were sharing their thoughts about all the information and learning opportunities that there are on the web, that there are everywhere. 
and that, that it can be overwhelming actually. So I wanted to ask you about your your personal trip and that sense your personal journey in developing yourself and, and learning uh, towards uh, what you are now, a very recognized personality within coaching. Yeah, and you know, it, it's been interesting, Pablo, because um, it, I learned so much when I took a step back from soccer, from football, and started studying so many of these other amazing coaches uh, that I've gotten to know and, and, and coach developers. And, you know, Nick Penn and I have had many conversations around this because he lives in Colorado Springs and it's just like this incredible collection of people there. And I think people in soccer get, you know, it's sort of like you, you're in a hole and you just keep digging that hole deeper but if you pick your head up and look around, there's so much we can learn from hockey coaches and volleyball coaches. And um, because where we meet in the middle, how do we inspire, motivate and communicate with athletes is, is so huge. And so I think one of the most important things that you can do as a coach and especially you know, these last couple months where people weren't coaching as much is they started collecting all this information um, but right. If, if information, this guy, Derek Seaver says, if information w was, was the problem, well, then we'd all have six pack abs and be millionaires, right? Like information's not the issue. It's knowledge. It's, can I make it actionable? And so I think this goes back to sort of knowing why do I do this and, and what drives what I'm going to do and, and where am I, what am I really, really good at, um, and and then instilling that every day. And so you can collect all the sessions you want, but I, I think what's really important is that you're paying attention to which are the ones that are engaging the kids and which are the ones that are teaching the best and, and do those again and again. And so I think sometimes, and especially these last eight, nine months, we could get overwhelmed with information and and then all of a sudden we become paralyzed. And so like with the coaches in my club here that I'm working with, we just put in a really, we didn't even do a curriculum. We just did like a methodology of, of, of what do we put in? What, what is, what are the components of a practice? What has to be there every day? What formation are we going to play in a seven aside game so that we get A, B, and C out of these games um, and all that. And, uh, you know, I worked with my friend Todd Bean at Tovo, um, to do this with the club. And, and it was great because I had a lot of coaches who think about, oh, it's technique first, but it's really not right. It's the ability to, to scan and see the field and then make the right choice and then technically execute it and then assess your choice and to do it again and again and again. And so I think, you know, in my journey, it's, it, it's, it's recognizing that there's a couple of things that have the biggest influence and focusing my most of my time on those two or three things that have 90% of the influence instead of worrying about the other 20 things that only influence 10%. And so for me personally, that's, you know, creating this sort of culture and this accountability so that we get the behaviors right. We show up, we have fun, but we compete like crazy and we're accountable and we treat each other right. If we do that day after day after day, we're going to get pretty good. That I design the right type of environment that's representative of the game so that every 
activity, even smaller rondos, once we've kind of warmed up, you know, they've got moments of transition. They've got moments of defense. It's not just like a couple guys in the middle and they win the ball and then everyone laughs at them and they go out and the other guys walk to the middle. It's like, hey, you want to get out of the middle? You got to play out to a goal and stuff like that. Guys on the outside want to stay outside. Even if you make a bad pass, you got to quick press and win the ball back. And so I know if I can create the right environments and um, I can engage these kids with the right behaviors, good things happen. And so that's how I've simplified my own work to say, um, what, what's the game supposed to look like on Saturday? Did these activities build towards that? Does it instill our values? Then that's a good practice for me. Brilliant. Neil, you had a question? I can ask it for you if you can't unmute. Um, if, can you hear me okay? Yes, yep. sir. Great. Uh, John, um, I think this is a good follow-up, actually, given the, what Pablo just asked about your journey. So, you know, the, the, clearly you've gone through an evolution as a, as a coach and a, and a person. And I'd be curious to know what, what type of advice you would give to your younger self now. So if you were meeting yourself who's just, just about to begin his coaching career, what advice, input would you give, knowing what you know now, to to your younger self? Well, I think one of the things and that's a great question neil um one of the things that i think is super important and you guys are all doing this or you wouldn't be on this call is is get a mentor right like get a, a senior coach who has been there and done that and i would even encourage you get one within your sport and get one outside of your sport um to to really you know do that um because you'll learn so much. Now, I was very lucky that when I got a, a college coaching job, um, I got to work for a coach who was super experienced. And I learned a lot of things from him that were good. And I learned a lot of things from him that I thought were not good. And I didn't want to be part of my coaching. Um, but those are just as important as well when you're young. Um, number two, I would say that... Uh, you got to do the inner work first and no one ever told me this. And so a lot of us, right, we're coaching and maybe some of us are still playing or maybe you just stop playing, but have you really come to terms with why you're not playing anymore? Right. I was, I got injured. I had two broken legs and that was it. And I had to stop playing at 26. And so, but I, I brought sort of this unfulfilled, oh, if only I hadn't gotten hurt and this competitiveness and, and this sort of like, if I jump in a game and practice, my team better win. And I wasn't really, you know, I, I was sort of trying to prove myself through the wins and losses of a bunch of 12 year olds or 16 year olds or whatever. And um, I think that was really destructive. And so I wish someone had sat me down and said, you want to be a coach now, you got to go on the inner journey. You got to do the work. You, you should probably talk to a sports psychologist. You should, I mean, I remember having this conversation with Landon Donovan about like how, you know, just he spent a lot of time doing therapy and how it made him a, a better coach. And I, I, you know, heard Jill Ellis talking about the same thing of like, this is why I exude calm on the sidelines and stuff like that. And so do the inner work, um, recognize what are your default behaviors that aren't necessarily helpful, right? Do you yell at refs? Do you yell at your kids? Do you get frustrated too easily? Is your body language te terrible, right? And then train yourself to 
um, be disciplined in your responses to things that you aren't in now. And no one ever told me that. And I think that is one of the most important, you know, A1 things about coaching is recognize your non-helpful defaults and, and, and develop your character so that you can overcome those and be a better coach for your kids. So that, that's what I wish someone told me a little younger. I got the mentor part down. Um, but I, I wish, uh, I had done a little more inner work first and, and really figured out what, what, what kind of coach do I want to be and define that and then work towards that. Brilliant. Brilliant, Johnny. Um, we'll wait for, for more questions to come in and we want to be sensitive to the time. We've got about 15 minutes left, but Johnny, like you're coaching TJ, um, how does that work, right? Let's talk about that relationship. And I know you've got to wear many different uh, hats as a coach, but how, how does that work with uh, having T TJ? And I, I can imagine if you'd coach Maggie, that might have been different. But how is that working for you? And how's that working for TJ? Well, you know, I did when I got back into coaching, I did coach my daughter's team first and she's older. And, uh, you know, she's you know, her personality is very much um, around, you know, as many older children are like you know, keep dad happy. And, um, she's a lot like me. She's just kind of a doer. And, and TJ is the most wonderful, kind, sensitive kid ever that, um, sadly I've put in tears a few times, um, and just run, run roughshod over him. Um, but it, it's a really interesting thing. And I think if you ever get the chance to coach your own kids, it's this constant thing of like, Am I am I viewing this as an uh, an objective coach or a you know or a dad? Am I giving my kid the chance to play here um, because he's my son or my daughter or you know have they earned this spot? And I think sometimes you can be too hard on your kids, um, expecting them to be more perfect than everyone else. And sometimes you can be, um, you know, I think sometimes you can let stuff go. Um, so, you know, for me, it, it, it's been, it, you know, the way that I coach, again, coaching this past year, 12 year old boys, you know, if we had, if we had games the year before when I coached the group, you know, I coached the whole age group. So I have two teams. Um, so every kid gets the same experience. The B team kids get to train with the A team. Uh, a lot of the A team kids drop down and do double sessions with the B teams to get extra play in. We do a lot of stuff together, like all summer long as people are coming and going and we train together. So no one can say, oh, that, you know, there's, there's favoritism there. My kid's getting screwed because of the coach they're getting, because they're getting the same thing. Um, and, you know, also from a playing time perspective, if we have two games on a weekend, if you didn't start Saturday, you'll start Sunday. Um, so I, I give a, every kid ample opportunities to play. And then I just have to be one of my default behaviors would be to chat about the game in the car, especially if things didn't go well to, to, you know, be tough on someone if I didn't think their effort and their focus and their competitiveness was there. And this has sometimes been an issue with me and my son. And what I've, you know, found now is if I can just bite my tongue, um, he'll eventually talk about it and he'll eventually come to me and, and want advice. And so like last night he was playing a futsal game and he didn't he didn't, he didn't think he played very well. And so afterwards he's like, can we just stay and, you know, shoot for a little bit? I'm like, sure. You know? And so he 
just hit a few balls and whatever, and we had some fun and good laughs. Now I could have hammered him for not playing well, but you know, hey, if he's like, I didn't play well, I recognize that. Let me try to make myself better. Well, amen to that. Um, you know, that's his own thing. So I think the hardest thing to do is, can you take when when do you take off your your coach hat and put on your dad hat or your mom hat? And sometimes I struggle with that, um, but I think that's the thing is sometimes you just have to be a parent and you got to let practice end. you got to let the game end. And if you do that, then your kids will recognize that you actually know a lot about sports and uh, they will come to you for advice instead of thinking you're an idiot all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure Mrs. O keeps you in line too. <laughs> yeah. Cause those fairport people, you know, they, they're tough. <laughs> Timmy Findell, you had a question. If you can unmute and go ahead and ask it. Yeah, John, this might be a, you know, a little out of context, but I think it's like lesson four. You kind of stated like um, the the value, or not the value, but just the uh, the um, short-term learning versus long-term learning or like short-term results versus long-term. Uh, like the professors who promoted a deeper understanding of the material actually set up their students for long-term success, but they were punished for their student evaluations on it. So basically, yeah. like they got the teachers that got poor evaluations actually taught better, if that makes sense. But yeah. I feel like, and not that I'm getting evaluated for all my players, but if I'm not seeing those negative feedback, does that correlate to am I not doing a good enough job of learning? Like, should I be seeing more negative feedback from players, or is that just looking into it too much out of context? No, not not at all. I mean, I think you want positive feedback because I think kids get it and, and parents get it. Uh, what I look for, Tim, is like a little bit, you know, I used to look for like all this joy at the end of practice and, you know, and that's great. But I also like to see a little bit of frustration, like they didn't quite get it. Right. Because that means you're in that right zone of of, of learning and, and challenge. And so I think those chapters are super, super important when you're designing your practice sessions and stuff is to recognize the difference between performance and learning. Uh, performance is what you see in front of you in the moment. And so you can organize block practices and have kids passing balls on un unopposed and go, oh, wow, look at this and cones and lines and all this sort of stuff and say, oh, that's great. But if it's not replicating the randomness of this beautiful, crazy game that we play, um, then then it then it's not happening. So you cannot recognize learning in the moment. Learning is only is the ability to retrieve something later on, and so you can only see learning over time. And and what the challenge is as a coach, and this is this research that you're talking about, is that. Oftentimes, players and their parents will equate learning with performance. So they feel themselves much better in this one practice, and therefore, I've learned it. And any of us who play golf and go and you hit, you know, 52 seven irons in a row and you're freaking smoking it off the tee and you're like, man, I got my seven iron. And then the next day you go play and you put them, you know, four of them in the pond, right? That's the difference between performing and learning right there. And, and so, um, our, your challenge is, can I create an environment that promotes learning, which is going to be challenging, 
and it's going to be random and there's going to be lots of choices and lots of decisions and lots of struggle and lots of turnovers but i'm also getting technical repetitions and i'm also getting tactical repetitions and i'm getting transitional repetitions um but there's defenders and there's directions and there's decision and all these things and if you do that over time learning will take place and so for the coaches that i work with my biggest challenge this year has been you know stop doing this unopposed stuff it's not that there's never a place for it but if you only have two practices a week 90 minutes right you can't be spending half of those practices with kids not seeing defenders because the defender is what tells you what's my what's my choice what's the correct choice and so when i take away those defenders i take away the choices same things with like if if um uh if you if you get the you know you scan beforehand well the act of turning my head right is 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 not scanning it's the act of turning my head and then actually being able to see something and synthesize that information which helps inform the choice that i make that can't happen by putting kids in line at a cone and saying oh check your shoulder before you go right because that means very little um so so i think this is i'm off on a tangent here and forget where i was going to but i think um this is what we have to do is we have to create environments that are so representative of the game even if the numbers are tweaked that that um that learning will take place and then we have to be patient enough for it to happen um and it's not going to happen in a week but when you hammer it over two months three months four months i worked with one of our young coaches here about two seasons ago with my boys and he said to me this was like a high compliment at the end of six months that we worked together he said i can't believe how much better technically our kids are and we never did what i would have considered a technical session a single time right because they got tons and tons of reps in in rondos and things like that where all of a sudden wow they're finding better spaces at the right time um you know even a bad touch they might get away with it so and I, I, think, I think tim did he answer your question because it did uh i got some stuff going there right obviously that i think that's uh it's brilliant but just communicating that as well with the parents hey it takes longer um and just being open with them and whether you're doing looking back looking forward emails this is what we worked on this is what you should be looking for and of course that helps that process as well so parents can understand and look at the um progressions um chico you had a question go ahead and ask your question hey john mauricio suarez from colombia yep i wanted to ask you one of the things that we struggle most uh in sierra rush club it's getting parents involved in in their children's uh, process not only the technical the physical and all you know that those type of processes if they uh get better uh kicking the ball or whatever but you know really getting both in all that involved you know the children's process in soccer so do you have any recommendations how do you guys do it and how can we you know make it better for a club to get those parents more involved in the, in, in these processes with their children mm -hmm. you know chigo i i think one of the things uh so much of that is 
is cultural in nature of and, and I don't know what the I, I don't know the cultural piece well enough you know what I mean um, so what I can say is I can speak in general to say if you have an idea of what is what's helpful from a parent perspective then you need to teach that right so don't assume that parents will jump on and, and do the right things I think assume that they'll do the wrong things or that they won't help out and then figure out okay well what are what are the ways that they can help us on this journey the other thing i think what you can teach them is that and this really goes to again these covid times that the youth sports journey is 10 years 12 years 14 years long and right now is only a slice of that and I think when the parents who can see the end of it and and think, what do I want my son or my daughter to get out of this and then work backwards from there, they're going to be a little more patient. They're going to be a little more, um, you know, understanding. They're going to want to see their son or daughter get pushed, um, get get uh, challenged a bit more, fight for their spot because they see that big picture at the end of this is what I want my son or daughter to be when they're 22. Um, whereas people who don't think of the end, they only think of the slice in front of me now, are panicking that their kids are not in front of a, a college coach every weekend. They're panicking they're not getting enough things. They're panicking their kid's gonna fall behind. They're panicking that their kid uh, isn't playing her favorite position or, um, it has started on every team and all of a sudden isn't starting right now. Um, and it's because there's no long view to it. And so I think one of the biggest things that you can do is, is look at um, what does parenting look like in your community and assume that their default behavior is not going to be super helpful and really lay in front of them. This is helpful. This is helpful. This is helpful. Here's what you can do. And here's what we can do. And then, I think the biggest part of that to sort of lock it in is good club parent and, and coach parent communication. So you can't shut the parents out. Um, and I think a lot of coaches in sport say, you know, don't talk to me, don't email me. I want nothing to do with you. But as a parent myself, you know, if my kid was failing math and, and the math teacher said, you're not allowed to talk to me, Right. That I would find that ridiculous that I can't find out how to help out. So there's got to be that open dialogue and honest dialogue and, and building of trust um, between parents and, and especially their team coaches. So when the kid's not doing well, they can have that and, and that coach can say, hey, here's what you can do to back up. This is what I'm trying to get him to do. And you're far more likely to have a good outcome that way than if everything's just adversarial. Brilliant answer. Thanks, Johnny. And then, Johnny, I'm going to ask the final question um, and then we're going to wrap up to be sensitive to your time. And the question is, is what is the best bit of info or quote you've heard through the pandemic? Um, well, you know, kind of. So I'll go with quote first and then info second. Quote first is um, this. Um, Oh my God, I'm, I'm spacing his name. Michael Murphy, he wrote a book called Golf in the Kingdom. And everything I just talked about, he said, great players see the field from above. 
right? They don't see what's in front of them. They see down on the field and they see where the space is and all that. And he was talking about football players or, or golfers or whatever, but I think that's soccer players. But I think great coaches see the journey from above. Great parents see the journey from above. They see everything and not just what's in front of their face. And so I, I've thought about that a lot is how can I help people see see everything from above, whether it's my players in practice and, hey, here's the, you know, here's my little magnet board, show me what we're doing and what it's supposed to look like and where the space. And if they can only show themselves and the guy next to them, they're not seeing it from above like we do as coaches. And then I think sort of the coolest piece of information or one of the things that I did via Zoom to build connection with my team, uh, which was like, it was so much fun. And uh, it's my friend, Trevor Reagan. He calls it the, the untalent show. And so basically, this is when we were still doing straight up Zoom calls and everyone on in my two teams, including myself, we had to pick a skill that we couldn't do. And it didn't have to be soccer. It could be anything you want. And then you had two weeks to learn it. So you tried to demo it for everyone. And then two weeks later, you had to show it again. And so I learned to juggle like, you know, juggle tennis balls in my hands. Um, but some kids learn soccer tricks. Um, one kid built a computer hard drive with his dad. Kids learn tricks on their bikes. Um, uh, it was just amazing car, you know, magic. It, it was so it was so much fun and it was funny. And some kids are trying to do a handstand and they're crashing to the floor and breaking lamps while trying to demo it. And their parents are yelling at them. But it was this great it was this great thing because, number one, they got to see me, their coach, struggle at something, which kids don't often get to see. And number two, I got to remember what it was like to learn something new because we've kind of forgotten that. Like, when's the last time you learned something really, really new um, and had to demonstrate it publicly? Well, we're asking them to do that every day in practice. And so um, it was this great reminder of what it's like to learn. And a great sort of reminder for them that, you know, coach is not perfect. Coach is human as well. And look, if he's open to learning, maybe I should be open to learning too. So um, maybe we'll finish with that, Chris. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Johnny. Um, again, apologies for getting on a bit late. We stole 15 minutes uh, with Johnny, but I'm sure we'll get him back. Johnny, thanks you for being a role in my journey. Um, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Uh, in better times and thanks everybody for getting on if you do have more questions just email me or john i'm sure he'll answer those questions on a, on a separate level um but thanks everybody for being on stay safe and we'll see you all soon bye-bye thanks chris bye guys see ya Thank, 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 thanks for listening to coaches education exclusively on the rush podcast network